1: In addition to my J.D., I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, because of my education, my training, my experiences my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and economics and the creation and preservation and the transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. And again, I do because just about every facet and aspect of All of the law out there from estate planning to uh, contract law, it in some way evolves and comes into bankruptcy law. That's why it's so fascinating and intellectually stimulating to me anyway. However, I also practice some of the related fields in my overall consumer and small business finance practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance and economics, I've spent the greater part of the nearly last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And uh, as I shared with you before, I was and remain always a military brat, and I helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also (laughs) in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And because I have a great I'm a great fran, uh, fan of grandmothers because my grandmothers on both sides of my family helped raise me and they shared with me um how they were able to survive. Uh, the the economic uh, um, downturns of our economy because they survived what I consider the four great economic challenges of the last century. That is to say, they survived the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and unfortunately, the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and to our society today. And as these women helped raise me and loved me and shared with me some of the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them and who were alive during, right at the cusp at the end of the Civil War and the post Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me in spirit, along with my dad, always urging me on. As such, when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled folks who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately, more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial and uh, adult elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today. So, the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not because of inflation, the lack thereof, and your overall finances, and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money related well being, as I understand these concepts in this non threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully to provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe You need, you really need, if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts. And I do this, I fervently believe this, because I believe representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. All of your adversaries will be represented by competent counsel with real legal weapons arrayed against you. That means that if you're lucky and you can sneak up on them and get real close to your adversaries, you might be able to scratch one of them on her arm or even poke one of them in her eye with your butter knife. But more than likely, it's you that's going to be dead on arrival. And I don't mean your mortal body or your soul. I mean that your valid claims that, how to protect yourself from your valid claims against you that your adversaries are going to put forth, um, and your valid defenses that might shield you from your adversary will likely see the promised land way before you do. I want you to remember Even though Shane took a real weapon to his shootout with Jack Wilson and the Riker brothers, and even though he bested them in that gunfight, he was still wounded. So just think what would have happened if Shane, instead of taking a real weapon to that real gunfight, he took a butter knife instead. So, Today, we're going to continue our discussion of what we started a few weeks ago on Bankruptcy 101 by reiterating what bankruptcy does and why it's so important, again, in sum. Bankruptcy is a legal procedure that's called out in Article 1, Section 4 of the United States Constitution and implemented by Congress to be used by individuals, families, large and small businesses, and the governmental units of states with the consent of the legislative body or the governor of said state and not by the state themselves or itself when these individuals or entities have become insolvent. That is to say, these real or artificial persons owe more money than the value of their assets and or they are are unable to repay their debts as they come due, even if they are solvent on paper. Bankruptcy slows down the debt collection process and may allow a debtor to be released from his or her or or theirs legal duty to repay all or part of their debt depending on the facts and circumstances of the individual case in question. So, again, bankruptcy law is so important. Why is it so crucial? It's it's needed in a properly functioning capitalistic market-based economy. For you see, the laws of the bankruptcy code and, and the federal rules of bankruptcy procedure and case law and statutes, they act as a safety valve to give entrepreneurs and individuals and families the freedom to undertake the economic and financial risk associated with starting a business or starting family units, with the knowledge that if they run into financial distress, that is the result of an honest miscalculation of a business risk, or the downturn in the economy of which they have no control, or a shift in the marketplace from, I don't like your product anymore, I like this product, that causes financial distress, or when a Individual or a family take on the risk of purchasing a home or automobiles or incurring consumer debt, or in some instances, when they decide to underwrite a formal education for themselves or their children or their grandchildren. And as long as the taking on of those economic and financial risks or obligations and the resulting financial distress were undertaken with the intent to repay the debt and not manipulated or calculated to perpetrate a fraud on their creditors, our government provides a constitutionally based legal procedure that may give the honest owner of a business or the honest member of their families a chance for a fresh start without the burden of overwhelming debt that tends to destroy the quality of life and shutters businesses." The bankruptcy process also gives the debtor's creditors the assurance that they will receive their fair share of the value of the debtor's non-exempt assets, even if that fair share turns out to mean that some creditors take nothing. However, as we briefly discussed the last time, bankruptcy is not for everyone, especially where the debtor in question has a wrong set of facts and circumstances related to how she incurred the debt obligation in the first place. And as such, she may lament ending up or even even considering going into bankruptcy court. And that's what we'll discuss when we come back. Why you may not be a good candidate for bankruptcy. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side.
0: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on today's topic of Bankruptcy 101. Before the break, I reiterated the importance of bankruptcy and how it's such an important component of an effective and efficiently running capital based economic system like ours in that it provides a way out of an otherwise hopeless financial situation for the debtor and provides some semblance of fairness in the repayment that will be made to the debtor's creditors as part of the process. But even those virtues, even with those virtues, bankruptcy is simply not for everyone especially where the debtor in question has a wrong set of facts and circumstances related to how she incurred the debt obligation in the first place. And as such, she may end up lamenting the day she ever even contemplated filing for bankruptcy, let alone setting foot in a bankruptcy court. So why bankruptcy is not a good idea for some. As I stated before in one of the earlier shows, a debtor with the wrong set of facts and circumstances as related to the creation of her debt obligation may find that filing for bankruptcy is one of the biggest mistakes she's ever made. And that's due to the non-dischargeable nature of some debt that's included in Section 523 of the Bankruptcy Code. In that section, section 523, it, it operates as an exception to another section of the bankruptcy code that gives you your discharge. And that's section 727B. The, that section, it, it's, it, it comes from the basis that if you go through this process and you'll, Generally, you'll get an overall grant of discharge, and that's what people want when they come out of a bankruptcy proceeding. They want to be discharged of the debts that they cannot repay if they have a reorganization plan based on a good faith reorganization plan or that uh, is more than uh, in excess of their non-exempt assets. That's usually the end of it. However, Section 523 provides a list of particular debts that are non-dischargeable, if so adjudicated by the bankruptcy court. Now, there's no single public policy rationale that justifies the inclusion of each of the debts accepted from discharge. Rather, non-dischargeability is justified, and therefore the debtor is Obligated to repay her debts for two broad categories of public policy rationale that is at the touchstone of Section 523. One big pot of debts that are not dischargeable are based on the worthiness of the creditor to be paid under the circumstances. And the other large pot of debts that are not going to be discharged if so adjudicated is for the misconduct of the debtor in obtaining the creditor's assets, be it a service or money lent or um, a house or some kind of other assets that's now in dispute and likely what caused the debtor to be in, uh, come into bankruptcy court in the first place. Now, Exception to discharge falling into the worthiness of the creditor category includes debts for what I talked about last time, unseasoned taxes, so it's for most taxes and customs and duties. Uh, other debts, you might incur a credit card to pay your taxes. Now, that, um, that credit card debt replaces the taxes, and it also becomes non-dischargeable. And then another kind is for alimony and child support. Again, either we pay for our own former spouse's well-being and our own children or the rest of the taxpayer base uh, has to end up paying for someone else who's not able to take care of themselves, especially children, out of our welfare system. So we'd rather you, uh, the, the spouse or the father or the mother of the child, take on that responsibility. Also, non dischargeable debts include fines and penalties and forfeitures owed to the government, educational loans uh, made by government and nonprofit institutions, also known as student loan debt that we'll go into great detail about this next week, orders of restitution where you either cop to a, a crime or you're convicted of a cl- crime, and part of your um sentence includes some kind of restitution, fees owed to courts, and uh, support that's required under the Social Security Act. The level of your fault has no bearing on this group of of exceptions. Now, the other large category of exceptions are they rely on the presumption of fault by the debtor in, in obtaining the debt obligation. Okay, these exceptions uh, uh define not the type of debt itself, but how the debt was incurred and the fault or culpability of the debtor that caused the debt to come into the instance in the first place. Such exceptions include debts that are generated by money, goods, or services that are obtained by fraud or falsehood, m- woeful and malicious injury to another. And death or injury caused by driving or flying an airplane under the influence of alcohol or drugs, or a boat for that matter, steering a boat. And there's fraud or defalcation while acting as a fiduciary, acting in the capacity of a fiduciary or where you incurred the debt by your own embezzlement or through larceny. So let's take a little bit deeper dive into the example. Um, we're going to do that uh, at looking at these two broad categories, but today we're going to look at the presumption of fault by the debtor in incurring a debt obligation by looking at the what the bankruptcy code means by willful and malicious acts that cause injury to an, uh, the, another or her property, and that's under Section 523A6 of the Bankruptcy Code. So what does, it, what does that mean? That's gobbledygook. That's legal speak. Well, Section 523A6 of the Bankruptcy Code excludes from the overall general de- discharge that we all want any debt for willful or malicious injury by a debtor to another entity or to the property of that entity. Uh It attempts to incorporate intentional tort principles into bankruptcy law, thereby accepting from discharge any debt the petitioner incurred as a result of intentional wrongdoing. So Section 523A6 focuses on three significant elements. One, the act subject to the discharge must have been willful, meaning that the debtor undertook an intentional, deliberate act for the purpose of reaching her desired goal. The second element, the act must be malicious, meaning that the debtor had a specific state of mind um, that included her desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another. And three, the act must be intended to result in an injury, meaning that not only did the person intend to undertake the act that caused the harm, she also intended the resulting harm. So woeful and malicious injury exceptions apply to intentional injuries that are called intentional torts, not for reckless or negligent torts. To accept a debt from discharge under this exception, one needs only convince a bankruptcy court that the Debtors Act was intentional and necessarily caused the harm. The existence of malice in most cases is assumed from the fact that It was an intentional act that intentionally caused the harm. Now, when we get together next time, we're going to take a look at an example of the purported worthiness of the creditor to be paid back, notwithstanding the burden to the debtor and her family that's all over the news today, the infamous requirement to pay back student loan debt. And that's found at Section 523A8 of the Bankruptcy Code. But, uh, so, we're going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing, here at Sellins Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of bankruptcy and their positive effects on our economy. When they are guided by equity, and fairness, not only to the debtor, but also to her creditors who might have been harmed by the debtor. But in the meantime, and in as much as it appears that some or all of the variants of COVID-19 will be with us for the foreseeable future, I know some of you guys are annoyed by me, but I'm going to tell you, um I Study science, and to me, COVID is a lot like one of my favorite movies. It's a science fiction thriller. (laughs) Aliens is like you know, aliens don't care if you want them to invade your body and take over your body and kill you, they will do it because that's their nature. Viruses are not children of God, they are entities that want to come in and invade your body so I once again ask you to please get vaccinated and boosted and don't forget your flu shots too and if you have children especially because they're so susceptible but I say even if you have all your shots but especially if you don't please take the necessary precaution to protect not only yourselves and your families, but all of the, all of us who you come in contact with, including me, by at a minimum, when we're out and about during this holiday season, to consider and actually wear a mask. So till next time, take care. And I wish you all the best of happy holiday seasons. Till next time. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead.